Welcome to the Clash Music Podcast. In this episode, we talk to Mike D, MCA, and Adrock, aka the Beastie Boys. After a short hiatus since 2007's The Mix Up, the New York trio returned with a new album, Hot Sauce Committee Part 1. In the first part of the interview, the boys discuss the new record, a change in musical direction, and briefly touch on their all time favourite double albums. It's a fair way off, so does it feel odd talking about it so early doors? Or to you, was it finished a fair while ago? We were going to release the record in May, yeah. so we were kind of geared up to, to do that and, and basically had the record done and then we decided to push back to September and so we ended up having a bunch more time and wrote a bunch more songs and yeah. now it's done again. We're actually releasing this record called Hot Sauce Committee Part 1 and then later we're going to release a bunch of the other stuff. Okay, so there's Honestly, Part 2, yeah. yeah. But Part 2 is probably going to come out, we're trying to figure it out now, but it'll eventually come out as a whole album but it'll be also released, I wouldn't say unconventionally, but... In a different way, and to, that's to gonna come out like, like, like from we that might do it like like people album. might get like a seven inch like yeah. every few weeks or something, or if you would rather have it as like a MP3 or whatever, we'll yeah. just email you a song or whatever. So it was kind of a rich yeah. period of productivity. The proverbial juices were flying, were they, in the build up to this? Yeah, I think we just had, we were having fun making music, and we kind of just kept going for a while. And then when we were going to finish the record, like the first time or first couple times, we mm. kind of had like too many songs, and it was hard to really make sense of it and then when it got pushed back we made even some more songs which I know sounds a bit counterproductive kind of, yeah, yeah, when yeah, we yeah. already have too many songs but then that somehow made it more clear because then it was kind of like I think sequencing a record or coming up with the songs that you decide are going to be on a record sometimes for us is the hardest part but it kind of just presented itself like okay these are going to be the songs that are going to be on part yeah. one and it was kind of pretty clear and then it seemed like a double album would be too long but if we made it into two albums we didn't really know if the other songs would stand up to just kind of being their own album but it's kind of like you know part two the weird shit yeah like it's just stuff that just didn't maybe fit the mood of this record because from what I've heard and I know it's, it's well like I wouldn't even say it is kind of in the mood but it's just just a it's little a more little, slightly harder to access like it's just we're getting a little, a little more out there yeah. and it's just kind of the thing of like when you have too much of that it's hard to like really penetrate any of it and we also got we got into the age old discussion of like okay there's never been a great like hip hop double album so you know and then you get we had this was whole some thing. of the great double albums that have been well, Clash well, London Calling uh, yeah certainly London Calling White that's Album yeah or, although a lot of people you know White Album very debated that's why I started with In My Opinion and right. I will yeah <laughs> but the thing about that you say about no double hip hop albums there was sort of a period where and it did sort of exist in rap where Oh, we've got 70, like 74 years. minutes to fill on a CD. Let's fill all of it. Yeah. Which is kind of a double LP. Yeah, it is. Anyway, totally you know, because, yeah. yeah it's, I'm trying to remember because I looked it up when we, <laughs> when we were trying to figure out our sequence. And this, like, Clash London Calling is like 60-something minutes. It's not. Hello Nasty is basically a double album. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that it's our place to say that it's great. But that record has a lot of weird shit on it. I mean, that probably has more weird shit on Hello Nasty than if we put all these... Part one and part two of this record isn't mm-hmm. nearly as weird as Hello Nasty. <laughs> Strange that you say that because I remember when Hello Nasty was out and people were saying this is really kind of roots hip hop stuff, like really kind of like more of older style stuff. But of course, there was that lots of variation in there, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people you had, you had Lee Perry on that one, didn't you? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so all kinds of it. And that, that man's not. 
you know, he's a good person. Right. He's roots. He definitely is, yeah. He's definitely roots. I'd put him in the roots category, but not root, not hip hop. Not the same. Yeah. So there will be these accompanying weird releases then with maybe like you say maybe a digital EP maybe a 7 inch you know I mean, do, do you feel you've got that kind of can you kind of call up the label and go we'd really like to do these four songs like this and well we like, kind of already have we, we've already have I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out actually kind of with them like okay well how do we do it it's been 20 years since Paul's Boutique was released does it feel that long to them but first as the music industry is changing so rapidly boys reflect on the dying concept of the album format, as well as classic hip-hop LPs that have been important to them. As a knack who's been through the, the you know, technological transitions and the way that music is bought and sold, do you find yourself kind of keeping up with that happily, or, or when you're writing an album you're like, I'd kind of rather people didn't fragment this and only download the songs they like? You know, it's kind of, I think, both. Yeah. Like, I think we're still stuck in album world just because of how we grew up and yeah. you know whatever I mean honestly we grew up worshipping albums I've spent so many ridiculous many hours of my life listening to whole albums and like looking at the album covers and yeah there's more tactile who produced what and what sounds like what and, and sequence was so important too, right back in the days like you would listen to a record in sequence much more now, and now the shuffle brings it into a whole different yeah. realm yeah. and we spend still we still because of that we, we spend, spend a lot of time, time on sequence and it's you know you realize that you know whatever what percentage yeah, of people some are people ever never listen to, to it, our intended sequence you know and a lot of times I even go nuts because I'll call up an album on my iTunes it won't play it in the proper sequence because it because it's got guests or something name. right exactly. yeah but it's funny you talk about albums and stuff I, a few months ago I interviewed De La Soul and they were talking about how it took a while for the hip hop world to kind of embrace yeah. the album really it was just like 12s mm-hmm. and 12s yeah. and 12s yeah. and that's what you do yeah I think it wasn't really until Public Enemy that, mm. that really like something was like mm. presented as an album no I'd say I mean Run DMC I, I, do, I disagree I know you I knew you were going to say that I would say <laughs> I don't think it's those. It's an honest disagreement. I, I love Run DMC to death, but I don't. I would not. To me, listening to those albums from the beginning, and there's a lot of songs that, that I don't care about too much. Whereas, like, first Public Enemy album or Second Nation of Millions, like those. So was that sort of a time when you were? Or early '89. Yeah. Was that a time when you were just putting the finishing touches to Paul's boutique? Yeah. About then? Yeah. About Something I guess for you, that's probably the first time you put an album together. You know, the debut. I think. You, do you listen to that now? Yeah. Or I mean, it is like to tracks Gale was definitely it, more just songs, and it, they yeah. happened to work together as an album. And Paul's boutique was definitely much more of an of an album. And then yeah. I remember, actually, oddly, like different points while we were making or finishing Paul's boutique, listening to both. Nation of Millions and uh, Three Feet High and Rising in the studio and both times mm-hmm. I just felt like uh, excited and really depressed because I was excited because <laughs> they were both incredibly great records and then I was depressed because I just felt like you know like anything we yeah. released wouldn't really mean anything but it must have been great they, they were so good that like our yeah but all these things were happening independently of one another it's almost like yeah, I was, you know, that year was really important. In, I remember when Nation of Millions came out, I was just listening to that over and over again, and just thinking, like, like with headphones, just thinking, this is this just is exploring. This is the first time yeah. I felt somebody had really made like a hip hop album, like, like approached it the way like the albums that I used to listen to when I was a kid that you listened to from beginning to end. And just, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was whatever. It was an exciting time. I mean, remember you also had Bleed Down Productions. There were a lot of good records in it. Does it feel like twenty years ago, or is that like is that kind of blink of an eye? 
Yeah, it doesn't feel like 20 years 20 years, years does sound like a long time. Yeah. It, yeah, somehow that sounds like a really long time, and it doesn't yeah, feel like... five, six years. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that long ago that the Knives listened to all yeah. those incredible records. The role of the producer in hip-hop is different from other genres. They go on to talk about their involvement in the production of previous Beastie Boys albums. When I was listening to it up in the EMI offices the other week, I thought it was Santa Gold on it. I'd obviously heard, heard Naz and recognised him, but uh, you've always been quite economical with your guests on records. I mean, that's you, a good way to put it. Do, but do you think that's important? Because you do hear artists that will be grouped as, you know, as a rap artist, but they kind of fill their albums with guest spots. It's not something we usually think about too much when we're in the studio. We're usually yeah. just kind of working on stuff, and then sometimes for one reason or another, I feel like it makes sense. It is. I mean, I think for us it's nice when it happens, but it's, yeah, it's more the exception than the norm. Yeah. In some ways it's simpler for us to just do our thing because we've worked together for so yeah. long and so we just kind of do it, like, but sometimes it kind of makes sense. Is this a self-produced record again, like the last one? You know, in a sense they're all kind of self-produced because yeah. we work so much on them, but, but in, in certain cases we've collaborated with other right. people. These just don't have the extra collaborators involved, mm-hmm. but... It, it's not that radical a change from how we always work. It may look different in the credits to yeah. see, like, oh, they produced it, you know, <laughs> in terms of our working process, it isn't. In red, when you see producer on there, a lot of times it means that whoever it is made the whole beat and mm-hmm. the groove, and, and then the, the MC just showed up, threw down some vocals, and walked out the door, and then the guy sat there and moved his vocals around and made the yeah. song. We've never really worked Yeah, like the Dust that. Brothers made a bunch of tracks on some stuff but even so we spent time working with we we didn't throw out the lyrics and walk out the door we worked with putting together the stuff the way they even if yeah in certain cases people contributed to the music you mentioned the Dust Brothers there though is that an instance where did they have some sort of track ideas already then when you came yeah they had had a bunch of music together a bunch of the stuff on Paul's Boutique are things where they had started building these things that they actually planned to release as, uh, as instrumentals, yeah. like, like club instrumentals. And so the, the things like Shake Your Rump was stuff where they had put together some beats and bass lines yeah. and guitar lines, like all these different loops together. And I think they were actually kind of surprised when we wanted to rhyme on it because they, they thought it was too dense to, mm-hmm. to rhyme on. They were like, well, maybe we could strip it down to just beats. And we said, no, we want to try to do this with all this music there. And so then we started working there. But there's probably more than half the songs on, on Paul's Boutique are things like that that they had yeah. started putting together and then a handful of them are, are things that, that we made. In the final part of this podcast the Beasties talk about touring and what they like to do with their spare time they give an insight into Mike's new alter ego and MCA's impressive sounding idea for a sports drink Mike also shares his thoughts on Jamie Oliver's wine recommendations do you typically get much time to not be in this process? I mean, do you find time in a gap between campaigns to kind of just do, do life things, you know? Or, or usually after, like, a tour. They usually, like, put out a record and then tour for a bit and then take a break. As, as the years have passed, has that balance become a lot easier? Or do you still find yourself, you know, the other side of the world thinking, rather not have another two or three weeks of this? You mean touring, touring part? You know, are you able to take family with you when you go away now? Is that yeah, nice? somewhat, but you still miss, I don't know, obviously you're going to miss, yeah. um, miss them. And then also, yeah, touring, for us, we try to keep it as fun as it can be, but 
inevitably you're gonna reach there's just an element of it where yeah. like there's a mundane element but we party so much you know what I mean? like we're at clubs and shit like you know what I'm saying we're just out all the time anyways we barely even know where we're at like, whether it's a club in Munich you know what I mean a club in you know Brazil whatever yeah. obviously the music has been your life but does it get to a point where you have to keep things in their boxes sort of so nothing's you know, you're not completely consumed by this one aspect of your life. No, I'd say usually, at least for me, I usually do get pretty 100% sucked into whatever I'm working yeah. on at that moment. But. I mean, this is, we've been doing this for so long, this is kind of what we, although Michelle Wunderbark has emerged, so things do change. It's not, it's not completely what we do and who we are. Am I wrong? Right, what's this? Uh... Michelle Wunderbark is <laughs> my drag identity. <laughs> We're just here to support Mike and his drag team. <laughs> I mean, we all do other shit, but I think that whenever we're working on something, we get pretty sort of tunnel vision inside of whatever we're working yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, and the band's always worked like, I mean, I think that the thing that's common is like, yeah, every record basically we reach a point where we kind of like, kind of, we might kind of start a little more tentative, but then you reach a point where it's like, you basically have to become pretty insular and like, mm. block out. But your protein uh, powder the outside. has also, it's, it's, oh, it's not a powder. No, so, no, no, no. But there is a, there's a drink that I'm bringing out called the Antidote to uh, battle Steven Seagal's drink because I think Steven Seagal is getting too much heat with his drink right now. But mine is really sort of a caffeine nicotine based drink. It's kind of like a it's a sports drink, but it contains the maximum level of caffeine and nicotine and sugar that you're legally allowed to put into a drink. And it's also combined with snake's blood and turtle semen. And so it really just kind of invigorates the person. But so it has natural, like, jojobas. And it has jojobas, but I think the thing that's key is that it has analgesics and it okay. contains an expectorant. So I think with a drink it's like that... It's good for your esophagus. Yeah. Or bad for it, but in any case, well, I think it's something you know, that... Well, this drink, and I actually I never even thought about this. It's what not about really my place to say... Does it, it contains the maximum legal amount of B12 that you're able to put into really? it. This, and this as is, well as alcohol. It also has the maximum legal quantity of alcohol. I'm not asking this for really? myself. Yeah. I'm not asking this for myself, but just because it is such a big market and such a big focus, will it put lead in, the pen in your pencil? Of course. It's also got Rogaine in it. <laughs> nice. It's got a muscle relaxant. A mild Viagra. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Well, that's what I mean. It's got the, Viagra. Lead in your pencil. All that shit. Ginseng. <laughs> anything you need is in this one drink. I think you should make a non-alcoholic one and maybe a chocolate one. So it's for children? It does have chocolate. It sort of looks like co- like coffee. It's kind of like... Yeah, it sounds like Mountain Dew. Well, sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mountain Dew with a kick? Yeah. It's going to be great. It's called The Antidote. Okay, guys. Did you want to ask Mike about wine stuff or no? About wine? Last night we were in the restaurant. Oh. And, uh, and they brought us a wine. You know, like Mike was really like looking at the wine, maybe like picked something. And the lady walks up and goes, would you guys like another bottle of this? And Mike said, no. No, we would not. Well, you know <laughs> what? This is the thing. First of all, like the, the woman brought over, she's like, oh, Jamie Oliver recommends this wine for you. And you know what? It sucked. It sucked. Straight up. Would you say the Naked Chef was just trying to get rid of that wine, or yeah. do you think he actually thought it was Well, good? I think that I mistakenly, and, and like I can't discuss with Adam, and I thought <laughs> it, was, it was the antidote, but actually it was not the antidote, it was some kind of hoax. But, you know, that's the whole thing with antidote. Antidote hoax, antidote hoax, you know. I'll give you the fucking antidote, Mike, and it's got snakes urine in it. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to the Clash Music Podcast. The interview was conducted by Mike Diver for Clash, and the podcast was edited by myself, Bobby Perman, for Inner Ear. This was an Inner Ear production for Clash Music. You can read the article on the Beastie Boys, along with lots of great interviews, news and features, at clashmusic.com.